This is The Common Denominator, and I'm Ilana Rachel Daniel. Today we speak in brief on the open wound that is the current Israeli hostage situation in Gaza, the impossible decisions that surround it, and the incidents which came before. On October 7th, Hamas terrorists kidnapped some 250 civilians from their homes in pajamas and from the outdoor Nova music festival at the end of our New Year season on the holiday Simchat Torah. After around seven weeks in captivity, Israel made a deal with Hamas to temporarily halt the fighting while about 100 people, that were foreign nationals and some 50 Israeli women and children, were released in exchange for a three-for-one number of convicted criminals of varying offenses held in Israeli jails. There remain an estimated 134 hostages inside terror tunnels and personal homes in Gaza under conditions both known and not. At least 31 of these prisoners have been killed, perhaps more. Of the hostages still held, baby Kfir Bibas, who turned one year old while in Hamas captivity, is the youngest. Along with his four-year-old brother Ariel and his mother Shiri, they've been reported by Hamas to have since been murdered during their imprisonment. Today, February 14th, marks 130 days and nights the remaining 134 hostages have been detained. The hostages who were released in the earlier deal have reported in detail the conditions and treatment they endured in captivity. Those include, and it will come as no surprise, violent rape of both women and men, constant threat of death and beatings, minimal food, no medicine or medical treatment, insistence on their total silence, psychological abuse, and torture of a nature which we can begin to surmise from the extent of barbary inflicted on the 1,200 people murdered on October 7th. Certainly, with every passing hour they continue to be held, the chances for their safe return diminish. To turn one's mind in the middle of the mundanity of the day to what these people might be enduring at that moment, as I know many millions of Jews and friends of Western civilization do, is to be immediately paralyzed with fear. To consider four months of it is to wonder what remains of them. The cynical psychological and physical abuse by those devoted to Jewish extinction has been made into theater. None more absurd or deranged is the attempts, the successful attempts, God help us, to convince the international public that those who were released weren't having such a bad time after all in Hamas summer camp and considered staying on till the next war. The war crime of kidnapping civilians and soldiers has long precedence here in Israel and has been used as a psychological tactic to instill fear and demoralize the nation for many long decades. Israel has responded to hostage situations throughout those decades in two ways, and both of them dramatic. With either the lopsided prisoner swaps for which we pay if not now, then later, and the daring missions of which much of our legends are made. In the aftermath of the October 7th massacre, which has shaken the West to its core, Israel again faces intolerable deals with the devil. They do so while strategizing the risky military operations to retrieve them and agree to negotiations in order to buy the time and conditions to put a rescue plan into place. 
The dialogue surrounding the issues of hostages is volatile because it plays not only on the single most terrifying threat living in this small and surrounded state, but raises and challenges questions of morality, human empathy, and military finesse to an unsustainable fear and an unattainable satisfactory answer. For in these prisoner swaps, we gain years, not lifetimes. The fundamental question How do we balance the national struggle to destroy Hamas, an entity sworn, devoted, and highly motivated to annihilate the Jewish people whole, against the needs of saving the hostages? Does not come with a conclusive answer. For negotiating hostages in exchange for murderers does not satiate, but wholly encourages this nation's many enemies to continue to terrorize. On the other hand, Does it imbue these citizens with a deeply rooted morale to continue under the extraordinary and constant threat to our well-being, knowing our country will do everything in its power to bring back our sons and daughters, even if it means placing Israel at a military disadvantage? In May 1985, one dramatic prisoner swap came to define these agreements known as the Jibril Deal. For the release of three Israeli soldiers held in Lebanon by the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, Israel unleashed 1,150 Palestinian prisoners and one Japanese inmate, in a deal named after that terrorist organization's leader, Ahmed Jibril. While it wasn't the first uneven exchange of prisoners between Israel and one of its enemies, its dramatic imbalance became a matter of deep controversy. While Netanyahu had previously criticized such agreements, he changed his stance when in 2011, as prime minister, he authorized the release of 1,027 criminals in return for captured IDF soldier Gilad Shalit. 19-year-old Shalit was kidnapped by Hamas and held hostage in Gaza for five long years, where his picture and name never left Israeli public consciousness throughout. The exchange deeply controversial, both at the time and until this very moment, illustrates the impossible choices we face here on the ground, to engage, or to not, with genocidal terrorists. In that 2011 swap, Yahya Sinwar and other key figures in Hamas's current leadership were freed from Israeli prison, along with a lengthy list of convicted mass murderers. Murderers whose victims' relatives painfully witnessed their release. It was Sinwar's own brother who was he to kidnap Shalit. Sinwar is now a familiar name to those newly interested in Middle East politics as he went on to mastermind the October 7th massacre, the single most savage, devastating, and personal attack on Jews since the Holocaust. Few would disagree the way to satisfy the majority is when the IDF attempts daring rescue operations of their own accord, even with the risks involved. This method of dealing with kidnapping is called the suppression model, that is, the use of overwhelming force. Some of those attempts failed and resulted in the death of captives, none more tragically painful than the Munich Massacre. In 1972, the Black September Group, a faction of the PLO, took hostage the Israeli wrestling team at the Munich Olympics. After unsuccessful negotiations, the German border police attempted 
and then aborted a rescue effort. And in the end, the entire team was murdered in cold blood while it was relayed in real time on international media. After the resulting tragedy, many world authorities revised their strategies for dealing with hostage incidents and sieges. And there have also been successes, none more iconic of Israel's heroism than the Entebbe rescue mission. In June 1976, Air France Flight 139, en route from Tel Aviv to Paris, was hijacked by a joint operation of the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine and a left-wing German terrorist group named German Revolutionary Cells. After redirecting the plane to Libya for refueling, the hijacked plane headed to Entebbe Airport in Uganda, where the hijackers enjoyed the full support and protection of Ugandan dictator Idi Amin, who reveled in the international attention. Upon landing, the terrorists separated the Israeli citizens from the non-Israeli, a gesture all too reminiscent of the Nazi death camps where comparable choices were made. Held inside an old part of the airport, the terrorists demanded the release of Palestinian and pro-Palestinian militants imprisoned in Israel and other countries. Codenamed Operation Thunderbolt, the IDF flew 100 of its top commandos to Entebbe, where they succeeded in a surprise attack. There they took control of the airport, killed the seven terrorists and dozens of Ugandan guards in an unprecedented 90-minute operation. Israel succeeded in returning 102 hostages alive. Three were killed in the rescue, and another hostage who had been previously taken to the hospital was murdered on the orders of Idi Amin. Israel lost one soldier who led the raid, Yoni Netanyahu, our longtime prime minister's brother. It was a daring attempt that defined not only the heroes who accomplished the mission, but legendized the Israeli army in their commander capacity. Despite Gaza's proximity to Israel compared to Entebbe, three and a half thousand kilometers away, the difficulties of military rescue in dense urban setting, with a complex system of tunnels dug over 500 kilometers and up to 80 meters deep, on a terrain prepared over 17 years for just this occasion, and facing a virulence of hatred even Israel did not account for, proves an ongoing challenge. After months of debilitating strain and losses, Israel's people received at long last their first real win. A team of commandos succeeded in rescuing two Israeli hostages held in a civilian home in Gaza. Their return has renewed our hope and our conviction to win this battle against those who act to see the Jews and their state demolished and to welcome all our loved ones back home. It is in being proactive. It is the experience of choice that allows us to rise to acts of courage, despite the risks. A definitive story of Israel is that of Ron Arad. Arad was an Israeli Air Force pilot who was captured in the 1986 war in Lebanon. After talks to release him broke down, Israel tried for years to locate his whereabouts. Two decades later, as part of the cessation of hostilities after the Second Lebanese War in 2006, Arad's location was made part of the deal but Israel claimed the intel Hezbollah offered was false. The IDF announced Arad's death in 2008, and they continued to search for his body to return it to Israel for burial. It was recently reported that even now, nearly 40 years later, the Mossad continues its search for Ron Arad.
it becomes apparent this is a national promise made between citizen and state. So recurring is this issue. In 1986, after repeated soldier abductions in Lebanon and contentious prisoner exchanges, the IDF adopted the Hannibal Directive. The full text of the directive was never published, and until 2003, Israeli military censorship forbade any discussion of the subject in the press. The protocol was a controversial military order that gave troops permission to do whatever necessary to prevent a soldier's kidnapping. It's understood that whatever is necessary meant even if it means the death of the soldier being captured. Reportedly, the protocol was canceled in 2016. The psychological terror involved in being taken hostage is multi-layered, long-lasting, and a torture of a nature which cannot be encapsulated in word form. In general, the psychological impact according to just one study in the Journal of the Royal Society of Medicine includes cognitive impairment, impacting memory and concentration, confusion and disorientation, flashbacks, and hypervigilance or hyperarousal to further danger. One might also face emotional shock and numbness, fear and anxiety, helplessness and hopelessness, and dissociation from emotions and former enjoyment, along with survivor's guilt. The severe and sustained impact on children may be displayed in signs of PTSD and other symptoms like shame and pessimism, which may worsen over time. The study states that denial, frozen fright, psychological infantilism, and learned helplessness are not age-specific. Nor are the physical effects such as asthma and diabetes developed over time, or new symptoms that come about as a result of the captive's condition and lack of basic human needs, such as nutrition, warmth, fresh air, exercise, and sleep. I would argue that these crimes of mind, body, and soul are being done to the individual. They are being done to their families. And in fact, they are being done to an entire nation on repeat. We seek to break the cycle because it is damaging not only many lives, but the very experience of it. What does halacha, Jewish law, say on these matters? There is agreement that releasing captives is a profoundly important commandment. Further, our value of life shapes the structure of our society. It is definitive of Jewish faith and peoplehood. Our seeking of life is definitive, but nothing can be at any price. This is the meaning of practical. The majority of rabbinical opinions state that if a ransom is too outrageous, it should not be paid, for it encourages the perpetrator to do it again, and even to increase his demands. There was the famous story of the Maharam of Rottenburg, who was taken hostage 800 years ago. He refused to let the Jewish community pay the emperor of the time the exorbitant price for his ransom, out of concern for the above. He died in prison. It is understood that his personal sacrifice prevented the capture of other leading rabbis and the financial collapse it may have caused countless communities. We value life, and we seek it. 
Understanding this is structural to understanding the Jewish perspective. But not at any price. For payment of any price makes mockery of life itself. Those who despise us understand this well, and you should too. The relentless kidnappings are a testament to both, for our enemies know it is the most successful way to maximize the damage in one act of terror. Hamas, Hezbollah, and their ilk state openly that they will win because we love life too much while they are unafraid of and in fact welcome death. It is perhaps this precept more than any other that defines the impossible we face daily. Many the world over are aware of the Bring Them Home Now campaign, as it's been an internationally recognized effort to pressure governments to do all that is possible to bring the hostages back. Most certainly, the families of those suffering in Hamas captivity must do all in their power to gain their loved ones' release. But there have been internal criticisms as well, both of the origins of the campaign as well as the rifts created within Israeli consciousness as our goals for the war become dual. The Tikva Forum was created as an alternative dialogue to the Bring Them Home Now advocacy group, and they actively oppose any negotiations with Hamas. The group is made up of religious Zionists who say they're putting country before loved ones. Tzvika Moore, whose 23-year-old son Eitan is being held right now in Gaza, said, quote, It's not just about my personal suffering as Eitan's father. It's about the nation as a whole. I can't let my personal hurt take priority over collective interests. On the other hand, Liron Berman fears the worst for his 26-year-old twin brothers, Gali and Svi. He said, quote, We see that when there's a deal, hostages return, and in between, when there isn't, only bodies come back. Only through a deal will we get my brothers back, Berman said. And there we have it. An event that stands out distinctly in my memory is that of the three boys. Those living in Israel will recall it well. In June 2014, three teenage boys who were hitching a ride were kidnapped and later found to be murdered. In the 18 days that followed the kidnapping, my experience was of the entire nation gripped. You went to the market, you picked your kids up from school, you waited in traffic, and you thought of those three kids all the while. The nation gathered in prayer for them and held out hope they would be found alive and soon. And we wept together as one people when they were discovered to have been murdered and hastily buried almost immediately after their kidnapping. We experience these tragedies as if it happened to our own family. We do so because of the dog whistle of millennia embedded in our DNA. For the loss of what that soul might have become to this Jewish body of people, the world's forever minority, and for the sober understanding that but for the circumstance of location, a few short kilometers to the right or the left, the fickleness of timing, the inexplicable grace of God, it could be any one of us, or worse, any one of someone we love that could be there today, or God forbid, tomorrow. 
the Sophie's impossible choice that Jews meet with time and time again. Choices that never do become easier to make. I'll meet with you here next week on The Common Denominator. <laughs>